0: Alright, we are going to be reading in Luke chapter 23, and setting the context here, we are going through the chronolog- chronological life of Jesus. We are in the day of His crucifixion. It is a Friday, it is 9 a.m., and it is, it is about uh, 35 A.D., 30, uh, uh, 33 to 35 A.D., sometime in that period. And... Uh, um, It's 9 a.m. in the morning, and uh, this is when when, uh, the crucifixion starts to take place. It's 9 a.m., and exactly at this time, at 9 a.m., the Passover sacrifice that's going to be eaten by the priests only is being offered up on the Temple Mount at 9 a.m. He is being crucified at 9 a.m., just a matter of a few hundred yards away from the Temple Mount. We're, we're not. It's probably not even a thousand yards away from the Temple Mount. So if you look at where the Church of the Holy Sepulchre is today, where the Temple Mount is, it's not that far. Yes, it was outside the 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 old wall where he was crucified. It's inside the present wall, but it was outside the old wall, and and uh, uh, that's where he's being crucified. So let's start reading in Luke chapter 23, verse 33. When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and one on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots, dividing up his garments among themselves. And the people stood by, looking on. And even the rulers were sneering at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if this is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up to him, offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the the king of the Jews, save yourself. Now there was also an inscription above him, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanging there was hurling abuse at him, saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other answered and rebuked him and said, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. So what we see is they take Jesus and he's going to be crucified. On his right and his left are two other criminals. These are probably criminals that actually were part of, of uh, um, uh, the rebellion that that, uh, um, that that was talked about earlier on, and so so. Uh, but but one of those was, was released, and uh, uh, Barabbas was released, but two other men were crucified, and so it even says if 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 uh, it, it even says in in, um, uh, in another passage in. Uh, in Matthew, Matthew chapter twenty seven, I'll just read this one verse forty four. It says the robbers who had been crucified with him were also insulting him with the same words. So look at the groups that were were, were insulting Jesus and mocking him. It was the two men on either side. They both started out mocking him. It talks about in Matthew and in Mark how the people, the passers-by, were mocking Him. Here it talks about how the soldiers were mocking Him and the leaders, the rulers, it says, were sneering at Him and mocking Him. So every group that was there was mocking Jesus when He was on the cross. And this is what Jesus does. All these people are mocking Him and Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. It's interesting that He says, father. Later on, after 12 p.m., so this 9 a.m. to 12 p.m., he is suffering for the sins of mankind. He is suffering in his flesh for the sins of mankind. From 12 to 3, he's going to be suffering a spiritual separation from God. And what you'll see is he no longer refers to God as father, as he's done throughout the entire Gospels. He always referred to God as, as father or my father. After 12 noon... He is going to only refer to God as God during the separation period where now he's separated. But here he's saying, Father, forgive them. So remember what he's saying. These are not people that are saying, oh, I'm sorry this is happening to you. These are people that are sneering at him, people that are mocking him. He is saying, Father, forgive them. Someone mocks, he looks at them and says, Father, forgive them. This is what he did. And it says that they, they, they cast lots and they divided up his garments. And, and uh, um, there was an inscription that was placed above his cross that said this is the king of the Jews because they would take an offender who was being crucified and they would put the reason for his crucifixion above, above, uh, above him on that cross. And that's what it said. Later on into this period... One of the the criminals that's that's being crucified alongside him says this. One of the criminals in verse 39 who was was hanging there and hurling abuse saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself. This is actually a temptation of Satan. They kept telling him to come down. Jesus could have come down from the cross. Jesus, Jesus is God. He could have stopped this whole thing. This is Satan's last try to keep him from being crucified. This is Satan's last try. To, keep, to have Jesus defeated by appealing to his pride and trying to say, if you're the king, come on down. That's why they kept jeering him. If you are the son of God, save yourself. Come on down. They kept trying to get at him through pride that he would come down. That was Satan's last attempt. But Jesus willingly bore that cross. And then it says, but the other answered. this is the other criminal, answered rebuking him saying, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? It says in Matthew and in Mark that the, the, both of those criminals were mocking him. But now one of them has seen Jesus' response and had a change of heart. Right there on the cross, he has seen the way Jesus has responded and he's had a change of heart. Remember what we said last time. Very often through that march to the cross, the, the, uh, the Roman soldiers would cut out the tongue of criminals because it would get so nasty sometimes the, way that the things that they would say back to the crowds. They saw Jesus' response of him proclaiming forgiveness to these people who are mocking him that it turns one of these criminals on the cross. And he says, he says, Do you not even fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. So this criminal, all of a sudden, is confessing his wrong. He is really turning. This is a salvation experience. You want to know what it looks like? It's a, it's a realization that I'm a sinner. He has now come to a realization that he is a sinner. He is beginning to fear God. And he comes to the defense of Jesus. This is what salvation looks like. You want to know what salvation looks like? It looks like this. Salvation looks like this. It's realization that I am a sinner. This is what it looks like. And then he says, we are suffering justly we, for what we deserve but this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. So he's appealing to Jesus. He says, remember me when you come in your kingdom. They weren't expecting the kingdom at that point. The kingdom of God still is not established here on earth. He was looking for the messianic kingdom. He was acknowledging Him as Messiah. And Jesus surprises him with this. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, Today you shall be with me in paradise. He says, You don't have to wait for the establishment of my kingdom. Today you will be with me in paradise. Today. Today you will be with me in paradise. That's what Jesus says to him. That gives us great hope. You want to know what happens when you die? Here's the picture that Jesus gives. That very day that you die, you will be with him in paradise if you've given your heart to him. There's no wait. You are translated from this earth to paradise with Him when you die, if you have died in Christ. There is no wait. The resurrection of the body will come later. But the soul, the very essence of who you are, that will be with Him immediately upon death. Jesus makes that promise. You can bank on that much better than you can your own rationale. Jesus said it. This is what He promises us. Now, let's, let's look down in, in, uh, in, in John chapter 19. Let's turn to John chapter 19, verse 18. John 19, verse 18. There they crucified Him, and with Him two other men, one on either side, and Jesus in between. And Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. And it was written, Jesus the Nazarene, the King of the Jews. Therefore, many of the Jews read this inscription... For the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews were saying to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. So let's skip on down to uh, uh, verse 25. Therefore the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus then saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. From that hour, the disciple took her into his own household. This is the disciple that Jesus loved. We've discussed this before. That is John, the one who wrote the gospel according to John. Not John the Baptist. He died years ago, a year and a half or two years before this. He was beheaded by by Herod Antipas. This is John, the disciple John. The disciple John is one of the disciples that fled from Jesus in the garden. All of his disciples fled. John came back to the foot of the cross. He is the only one of the remaining eleven disciples that came back to the foot of the cross, the other, the other ten of them stayed away. John came back. It is interesting that John is the only one that is believed to have died a natural death. Every one of the other ones died showing that indeed they were, they, they were going to die for the Lord. John was banished to the island of Patmos where he, he uh, wrote the, the book of Revelation. But he didn't have to prove anything anymore. He had already proved his allegiance to Jesus. He had come back to the cross of all the disciples. Now, standing there were the women. It mentions three women, but there may have been many others. Remember, many of them followed. He had many women following him. But standing by the cross were his mother, his, sister, his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. So there were at least three Marys. So there was Mary, the mother of Jesus, there was his aunt Mary, the wife of Clopas, and there was Mary Magdalene, Mary, the the one whom he had he, he, whom he had uh, 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 the, the, um, cast out demons. So there were these three women, and he looks specifically at his mother, and he looks at John the disciple, and he says, he said to, to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, "Behold, your mother." And from that hour, the disciple took her into his household. Now, this is a very strange thing to think about. Now, you will hear Catholics say, and I kind of tend to agree with them, that that uh, um, here that, that Jesus had no physical brothers or sisters; that those were just cousins. Now, the Bible speaks of Jesus' brothers of the Lord. Now, if you go into that part of the world, or you ask my wife Shereen, she grew up around her cousins, and they called each other brothers and sisters all the time. They lived in communities, and her cousin was like her brother, and she would refer—they would refer to them as brothers. It wasn't well, you know. That's not really the the father of my mother and father. That's the father of my aunt and that—that—that's that's the child of my aunt and my uncle. It was still brother. The other thing that's interesting about this is that, that uh, uh, it says in Matthew chapter 1, verse 25, that, that uh, uh, Joseph kept Mary a virgin until she gave birth to a son. So after she gave, gave birth to Jesus, so many people believe after that, she no, she, then, then, then Joseph enjoyed the, 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 the typical marital relationships. However, there were many sects in that day where two people would get married. This is going to sound very strange to you in our culture that's just full of sex. But there were people that would get married and never have sex. And you say, well, why did they get married? Because they were committed to each other, but they would never have sex. And these sects would grow, these, these groups would grow just by having converts into it. It was not uncommon in those days. And in fact, I have known couples that have married and never had sex. You say, well, why do they even do this? You will find that they are extremely devoted to the Lord, extremely devoted. I'm not saying it's good. I'm not saying it's natural. I'm saying there are people who do it. And what's interesting is they will say, well, why why did Jesus commit Mary to John's care? If, if, if Mary had other children, well, those children weren't believers. But we know from the Scriptures that within 40 days, his brothers are going to come to know the Lord. James so much so that he becomes the leader of the church in Jerusalem. So if James is his physical brother, what's he doing committing his mother to John? So all of these pieces you have to think about, and it's hard to just dismiss what one group might think or another. I mean, it's not easy to dismiss. And you may say, he kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and that until means that after that point she was no longer a virgin. That's not necessarily true. I mean, there are many portions in Scripture. So it says that Nikal McCall who, who had made fun of David, it says that he no longer had relations with her, and, he did, and, and, uh, and she had no children until the day of her death. Does that mean on the day she died, boom, she started having children? She had no children until the day of her death. No, it meant from that point onward. It says it says of, of, of some of David's other wives, who, who Absalom had slept with in the rebellion, it says that David did not go into them until the day of their death. Does that mean, on the, you know, he slept with them the day they died? I mean, no, it obviously means from that point forward. So what I'm trying to say is we get these visions in our mind of what might be right. We might not have it right at all. There's a lot of complexities to the scriptures that we might not understand because of our cultural backgrounds. But what I want to key in on is this, and this is then the take-home message is this. Look at the life of Jesus. Here he is on the cross and he's looking at these people who are mocking him and making fun of them, making fun of him and saying, "Father, forgive them for they know not what they do." One of these men who just moments before was mocking him and making fun of him saying, now he says, "You know, I'm a sinner." You know, um would you remember me? And Jesus said, not only am I going to remember you in my kingdom, today I'm taking you with me into paradise. I mean, look at the forgiveness. Look at the attitude of Jesus. Here he is on the cross. Do you think he was occupied? I mean, Jesus was pretty busy dealing with the sins of humankind on the cross. He's looking out for Mary and he's instructing John what to do to take care of his mother. This man, this man, the way he moved, the way he, he acted, the things he said drew people to himself. This was no ordinary man. This is the one who calls us to be like him. This is the one who builds the Christian community and has instructed us. I want us to turn to, to Ephesians Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to look at verse, verse uh, um, 26. This is instruction to the church. The scriptures are, the, the New Testament is, 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 is filled with things like this. This is instruction. This is what makes the Christian community what it is. I was in France two weeks ago with a bunch of other scientists and writers and all these other things, and there was a group of the people there, maybe half the people there, were Christians. And it was only because each of us was, was a was a nonconformist in our community. So I've taken a certain stance in chemistry that's against the community in the sense that I don't agree with them. And so so there was a meeting of nonconformists, and about half of them were Christians. And some of them were Jews, and the Jews were saying, How come there's so many Christians here? Maybe you guys are used to taking stands just for your Christianity. But immediately amongst us was this fellowship. This this friendship just immediately because of the body of Christ, because of the commonality of who we had in this one who is the father of our faith. This is the one who leads us and instructs us. And listen to the instruction that he gives us in the body of Christ. Without this, cultures just can fall apart. Without this, there's enormous inhumanity to man. Verse 25 of Ephesians chapter 4, Therefore, laying aside falsehood speak truth to each other, Each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Look at what it says. It says, we have a community. We are members of each other. I want you to be truthful with each other. And remember, one of the Pharisees said to Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? And he says, it was the one who who took care of others. Then he says... uh, um, Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give the devil an opportunity. Look what he instructs. He says, look, you're going to get angry in life, but don't take it through to the evening. Just deal with that. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. Look what he says. He says, I don't want you stealing you're going to have to work. But not only are you going to have to work to feed your own face, you're going to have to work to take care of others so that you will have something to give to others. You see, He keeps raising the bar on us. It's not just that you're going to have to work to eat. You're going to have to work so that you have something that you can share with another. If you are not in the mode of sharing, you are not in the mode of listening to the Scriptures. And even if you're a student, you say, well, when I... Get out and I start making a big salary, then I'll give. That is a lie. If you cannot give something now, you will never give much later. Whatever you have, you give of what you have. And 10% is not a bad place to start. It's not a bad place at all. Where you take a portion of what you have and you commit it to others. Outside your family, you commit it to others. This is what giving is. He calls us to this. He even tells the thief. You want to be in the body of Christ, you're going to have to stop stealing and you're going to have to start making some money so that you can give to others. You start taking care of others right where you are at. You apply it right as students. You see someone going on a mission, well, I'm saving this for my mission trip. Well, that's great. Well, you put 10% aside for someone else's mission trip. You get in the habit of giving at this age. Or else what happens when you get this big salary, you're going to understand who Mr. FICA is, and you're going to, where's all that money just gone? Just, I mean, I had this much, and now it's just this much. And you're going to see what real taxes are. And you say, well, you know, I guess that's already my tithe, because they took like 30% instead of 10 No, what you got, you're going to pay a tithe on what you get. You start now. You start to, if he can instruct the thief to learn to be generous, I can instruct you. Learn to be generous at this stage in which you're at. Then he says, he says, uh, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give. So that it will give grace to those who hear. This is exactly what Jesus did. They were mocking Him and making fun of Him. And just grace was pouring out of this man's life. Just grace was pouring out. Even what we talked about last week, what He said to the women on on the Via della Rosa. He says, don't weep for Me. Weep for your children. He was speaking about the coming destruction that was going to come upon Jerusalem. He was prophesying to them what was going to happen, hoping that they would repent. You let gracious words flow from you. Somebody writes to you a nasty email, reply with grace. Reply with kindness. This is what he calls us to because he calls us to something higher than what the world deals with. You say, well, if they said it to me, you know. If they clenched their fist at me, I'll clench my fist. No! It's just the opposite in the body of Christ. Just the opposite. We are to react differently. Jesus reacted differently and it drew people to Him. This is the one who has built the body of Christ and calls us to labor. We are to work differently and respond differently. We don't respond in kind. We don't respond as people would respond to us. We respond with grace. Then He, say, <clears throat> then he says, uh, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit sees our hearts No man knows us, the scripture says, but his own spirit and the spirit of God within him. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. You know when you're doing something wrong, you say, well, no one's going to see it. The Holy Spirit sees you. He lives within you. You want to walk with Christ? You don't grieve the Holy Spirit. He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice be kind to one another, one another tender hearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. This is what he calls us to. He calls us to a life of forgiveness. We must proclaim forgiveness toward others. The biggest struggle that young people have is those who have been abused physically, those who have been abused sexually. Let that thing go. It doesn't mean that you have to make that person your friend, but as it deals between you and God, say, Lord, I forgive that person for what they did to me. So many people have been abused, sexually abused as children or as young people growing up. Say, Lord, I lay that down and I forgive that person and just deal with it, the Lord. Just between you and the Lord, you speak forgiveness. You don't have to make that person your friend, but don't carry that. Don't let the hardness of that be carried. Learn how to forgive quickly. And the the sooner we ask for forgiveness, the easier it is. The longer you wait, the harder it is. Jesus said that we are to be different. We take the lead. Well, when they come and ask for forgiveness, then I'll forgive them. No. Were those people asking forgiveness around the cross? No. They were making fun of Him and He proclaimed forgiveness. He said, Father, forgive them. We initiate forgiveness because one who gave himself for us initiated forgiveness on our behalf. He initiated forgiveness. This is what he calls us to. It is this ideal that we have. This is what makes Christianity so different. This is what makes the body of Christ so different. It has been demonstrated to us in Jesus On the cross, he was pretty consumed with dealing with his own issues, but he was still looking out for the interests of others. And this is what he calls us to. You say, you're busy. Well, you know, I I have no time for him. Do you know how busy I am? I have three exams this week. You deal with your exams, but you also are to give to others. There's a life, a characteristic in our lives where he calls us to give of ourselves to others in the midst of all that we have to do. He calls us beyond ourselves. And this is what the infilling of the Holy Spirit does. Let's pray. Abba, Father, thank You so much for Your Word, for the graciousness of Your Word, for the One who went before us in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ, who demonstrated for us what it is to walk in the ways of God. Lord, thank You for calling us into those ways and empowering us by the power of the Holy Spirit to walk in those ways. Father, I pray for these young people that they would take hold of this and walk according to it. Lord, have mercy on them. And Father, I pray for those here that do not know You. Lord, I pray that You break through to their hearts And that they would bow their hearts to You and confess, just like that man on the cross, that I am a sinner. Lord, remember me. Remember me in Your kingdom. Father, I pray for Your grace and for Your outpouring. The grace of God. Lord, I pray for these young people who don't know You. Father, save their souls, I pray. And I commit them to You in the name of Jesus. Amen.